I'm not really going for this moment when I'm making a track where everyone's fist pumping. Mm -hmm. I'm going for the moment where they're like dropping down a couple more inches and grinding a little harder. Yeah, 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 yeah. And getting weird with themselves and being like, I'm getting weird tonight. Hello, it's your host, Kat Walsh, and you're listening to another episode of Trip On This. This podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children. Trip On This is intended for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone the use of illegal substances. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trip On This. I am already having a dance party in my head just thinking about introducing my next guest. I'm with Barclay Crenshaw, also known as Claude Von Stroke. Claude, or Barclay, or both as I call him on this, is the label boss for Dirty Bird. Dirty Bird is a house music label that started small. We talk about his journey and is now one of the biggest house music labels there are. Technically, it's called Tech Funk and it is funky. I've seen Claude at least five times. And so on this episode, I am really fangirling out. For those who listen to me a lot, you guys know how much I love house music and Dirty Bird music in general and specifically Claude is some of my favorites. So I highly recommend checking it out after this episode. We get into so many interesting little topics on this conversation. Of course, we talk about psychedelics. And even though he no longer participates in anything these days, he does still draw on those experiences to create his music. He can kind of put himself in the dance floor, in that kind of state of mind to really create music for that type of experience, right? He talks about some a hilarious story that happened to him in Ibiza and just a variety of different things about his own journey to creating Dirty Bird, how he looks at music, how he's always trying to expand himself and keep it keep it fresh for himself, keep it creative. It's a really good episode and I hope you all enjoy it. A few things before this episode begins. If you're not following me on socials, please do so. I'll link it all in the copy of this episode. And finally, if you are liking this show and you want to support your girl, please subscribe, comment, rate, send it to a friend. It is so helpful for me to grow this podcast. That is how it works. Y'all know this is like a world of algorithms. And the more that there is ratings and comments and likes, the more that this grows. So thank you so much, all of you, for being here. And with that, please enjoy this next episode with Claude Von Stroke. Barclay Crenshaw, a.k.a. Claude Von Stroke, one of my favorite DJs and producers. It is so good to have you here. Welcome to Trip On This. Thank you for having me. So as I mentioned when I first reached out to you, your label, Dirty Bird, is so inherently psychedelic, right? There's like the vibe, the arts, the music, and just kind of that like outright permission for fun and play and self-expression. Why don't we kick it back for everybody a little bit and talk about the genesis of Dirty Bird? Like, where did it begin? How long ago? And what was the inspiration for you? I was living in Detroit and trying to do lots of different kind of electronic genres. I even made like rap tapes when I was a little kid. And I I bought a sampler when I was like 
12 years old. Wow. wow. <laughs> so you always knew you uh, wanted to make music. Yeah, I did. I got diverted for a while into the film industry, mm -hmm. thinking that I would rather do that. But I was always better at music. And it was just seemed to always be pulling me back a little bit easier path just because I would make something and people would like it. And I just, it just kept giving me positive feedback. Yeah. So I moved to San Francisco. There's a lot of moves in here, but I ended up in San Francisco and I kind of ran into some like-minded individuals who uh, like the Martin brothers and worthy mm -hmm. and a guy named Fernando and Chris Wilson. And we all kind of agreed that the music, it was like the dot com thing was totally. going on. And it was like all these young people with like tons of money mm -hmm. were going out in like silk shirts and <laughs> doing like VIP bottle. It's kind of like very strangely mirroring itself right now. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and there was a lot of bottle service parties and a lot of deep house with like really high end produced like vocals. Mm. Like sh I called it like super sheeny house mm -hmm. and which was not what I was into at all because I was coming from this like really dirty warehouse techno totally. uh, vibe in Detroit and I was also a huge jungle drum and bass fan mm -hmm. and uh so are these other guys and uh but they didn't have the Detroit but they like went to school in New York everybody had some kind of different no one was from San Francisco got it so we decided to do these parties in Golden Gate Park that no one came to at first and somehow like uh both of the martin brothers worked at this bar called lions pub and we were in there and i just drew this bird that i had been drawing since i was a little kid and someone said dirty bird and immediately <laughs> i the label was going to be called rook records rook record <laughs> what why rook I don't know. I just it had like a little castle logo, like I a love piece, it. the castle piece, and uh, immediately just changed it. And it wasn't even a label yet. <clears throat> so you but just you heard also, the you heard the name, and you're like, "That's going to be something." Yeah, Dirty Bird, and it worked with the image. Mm -hmm. So that became the name of the party in the park in Golden Gate Park that we would do for free for many years. But at the same time, I had just finished making this documentary where I had to, I, I worked at a post-production house in San Francisco where we would edit TV commercials. And one of our biggest clients was Men's Warehouse. Mm -hmm. So I saw, you're going to like the way you look, like <laughs> 800,000 times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, side note. Lucky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very lucky that you got to hear that 8,000 times. <laughs> but I had access to equipment, so I made this documentary. So every famous DJ that would come through San Francisco, I was kind of like the assistant in this place. So I was in this like little closet making dubs and like doing all the lackey work. Mm -hmm. But I also had access to a computer where I could email people. This is so long ago that people were not emailing people to get business done. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that seemed insane. 
but it wasn't like a big thing. It yeah. was a thing, but it wasn't like the main thing going on. Were people just calling each you other? Still- how did you, how did that yeah, happen? People still called people on the phone. <laughs> oh, the that? Time. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, there was definitely email, but it just wasn't like the way it is now. Yeah, where yeah, everything's yeah. On email. Totally. And I, so I would just email the managers, figure out who was in charge of an, a DJ. And it really wasn't that hard. I mean, it took a lot of work and like, don't take no for an answer, but I was able to get like 50 DJs to be on this DVD project. And the whole thing was, how do you become a famous DJ? That was like the theme. That is so so perfect (laughs) that you're literally getting the training. Like, okay, so I'm not a famous DJ yet, but like, how do you do it? Just ask the experts and like, and here we are. (laughs) Yeah, because I had made several forays into like demos and like drum and bass release house release that didn't go anywhere mm-hmm. so i was like i just need to find out like there's no school it's not like now where you can go to point blank or some yeah, school yeah. there's no way to know anything nobody's making youtube videos there's nothing right so i'm gonna make the thing that you would watch to figure out how to do it and by making that i also ran out of money and i had to make up a, a lot of the music to go under the interviews so mm-hmm. i had to make music that sounds like Juan Atkins. Music that sounds like Derek May, music that sounds like whoever. Wow. So, so you're, you're working project. on your skill, making the documentary that you needed for yourself yeah. to become. So it was like graduate school. It took as long as graduate school. It took just as many hours as graduate school. And it came out. And then I was like, oh, I know everything now. Wow. And then I started the record label pretty fast after that. And I skipped like, 80 steps because I knew all the pitfalls right and I saved up enough money like I knew all the little pitfalls of why I was like how come everybody starts a record label in San Francisco and then they are gone in three releases and I was like oh that's why it's so obvious because vinyls cost this much money and no one gets paid until their fourth record and so no one ever has enough money to make it to the fourth record just little things like that yeah so then you could put or together a not- strategy, a game plan. You're like, okay, I need yeah. to get to four. For is four the yeah. magic number, or it's like usually it was to- then. Yeah, because when people bought vinyl records, that was the magic number where your distributor is like, oh, you're a real label. We could actually pay you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is such a trip to hear about. And now fast forward, you're throwing free parties in San Francisco. You're with the Martin Brothers. You're trying to figure out how to become this. And now fast forward, Dirty Birds, one of like the biggest house labels and like tech funk specifically. At at any point, were you ever like, this could really make it? Like, what was your vision for Dirty Bird? Or is this a big, pleasant surprise for you that it really became what it became? No, I was super dedicated. So my I also met my wife around the same exact time as all this is going down. Mm-hmm. It's like this two-year span was like, like 80 20 rule this is like the 80 part of my life all this two years so like I meet my future wife she also she works in advertising so she's able to get me these side gigs Mm -hmm. from my editing job where I can come and film little kids she works at leapfrog so I film these little test market videos of little kids testing out products that don't exist yet mm-hmm. and then the and then they go and take the VHSs to malls and show them to parents 
So I was filming the videos, editing the videos, but where I made the money to start Dirty Bird is I built this giant dub machine because I was, I knew all about making dubs for my job. Wow. I built this giant monster VHS dub machine and I was buying the VHS tapes for like 30 cents and then I would charge them like $15 a tape. And all I had to do is just sit there and crank them. God, for like just, eight hours. Just all the pieces, <laughs> just like every piece that you needed for this to become became. Like, talk about a time yeah. of expansion. Yeah, the the main the main thing that happened that everyone jokes about is that uh, my wife Andy said, "I really want you to do the record label. You're really passionate about it, but you have to make this amount of money in one year." And then you can do it forever or you have to just go back and get a regular job. So I was so <laughs> Pressure was focused. on. <laughs> I was so focused that I, I went crazy. And well, I made it. Wow. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And we're going to get into more about Dirty Bird and all that, like at the end and hearing about Camp Out because there's just so much fun that we can talk about here. But before we get in there, as you know, you're on Trip on This. It's a psychedelic podcast. Right. So the first question I have for you is, uh, have you dabbled in yeah, psychedelics? For sure. All I right. Have. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my next question is, are you still? Not, no. I've been sober for a long time. Like, I will say if it's a very, very unusual occasion, sometimes one person in particular can get me to do something. <laughs> One of my friends from Detroit. And he's like, but I've got these mushrooms and they're great. And like, you know. Like like once every two years that can happen. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about rave culture though, because you've been in it, right? And let's talk about the party scene. And I'd love to hear from your vantage point, you know, for me, right? When I go see Claude Von Stroke, I can have a big night, right? But then I get to... Uh, I could take the next couple weekends off and kind of balance myself. How were you able to balance the the party scene, the rave scene through your through your career? Or were you? Yeah, somewhat. No, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I was definitely teetering on. I mean, it gets back to the question of like, how do I think about the music that I'm making when I'm making it? And I have been on these like four day vendors in Ibiza where I'm like climbing over walls and ending up <laughs> in people's backyards and like teaching. Wow. <laughs> like, oh my God. And, I, like, yeah. I've done everything, woken up on the side of the road, not knowing mm-hmm. where I was, kind of things. Mm-hmm. Got it. <laughs> and, and I actually pull from some of these experiences because I actually do like making a kind of music that is specifically meant to trip you out on the dance floor. Yeah. It, and like, you, you achieve I it. really like sounds that freak you out and like think ideas that are like, Oh, what? <laughs> like, why is this yeah. happening? Ideas. Yeah. And like things that creative uses of sound that other people might not have thought of, whether it's just an arrangement trick or a sound design trick, all that almost comes back 
to like when I was listening to Jungle. Yeah. And like they're just sound design insanity. So good. And why I still like really crazy bass music as well, because I think it's always pushing the boundaries on what is acceptable mm-hmm. and like what you can do with mm-hmm. the technology. I love that. I don't that's a kind of crazy answer. No, no, that's that's actually yeah. a perfect answer because it sounds like your your big experience, your life experiences, the crazy times, the psychedelic times, whatever it is, has been, whether directly or indirectly, an inspiration for the music itself. Is that right? Absolutely. Even now when I'm making a track, I'm like, yeah, but yeah, I'm in my house in the valley. (laughs) But (laughs) is this like, would this make me like would it i have this like zone that i want people to be in and they hear mm-hmm. something that i'm making and i i'm just like would this make me feel this way if i was in a really dark room with my friends or yeah. just by myself i was would have, i get weird would i get weird or not yeah 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 i your music is so that that's why i was like the, that's why when i was reaching out to you not only am i a fan but like it is that and it really does uh cultivate that and it's interesting about like does it make you feel something cuz like last night I was, I was actually dancing to some of your music because I was just like, yeah, I'm talking to Claude tomorrow. And what's cool is I can uh, envision myself back in the dark yeah, warehouse. Good. You know what I mean? Like I can put myself there as opposed to me being in my little place in Culver City here. Like I can, I can really trans- transport myself through the music. Uh, and uh, spoiler alert for people listening. And I have been on psychedelics watching your shows. And... <laughs> And I can uh, almost access that time and place. So I think yeah. what you're achieve, consider it achieved, at least from my vantage point. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, Thank for sure. You. Yeah, you bet. How has, so I, I know you're kind of more sober now, <laughs> except for that one friend. How has performing now for your fans changed? You know, like were you, when you weren't, right? And you were, whether it was drinking or whatever else, how has the experience for you now as the artist changed or hasn't, you know, what's it, what's it like for you now being like in your complete sober state Um, performing? I'm way better, Mm -hmm. way better. Everyone thinks that they're the best drunk DJ, but they're not actually that good. They just remember it. It's just amazing what you remember versus what's actually happening. Totally. Also, I am like, just for example, this year, my tour Mm -hmm. is I'm only playing clubs where I show up when it opens and I play the whole night and close. I open the club and close the club and it, which can be anything from four to nine hours of DJing. And I am enjoying it so much more than just dropping in for 90 minutes and playing a bunch of bangers at Mm -hmm everyone's like demanding to hear because kind of like in my music making I'm not really going for this moment when I'm making a track where everyone's fist pumping Mm -hmm. I'm going for the moment where they're like dropping down a couple more inches and grinding a little harder yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and getting weird with themselves and totally. being like, I'm getting weird tonight. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, and I'm sure like not when you're not drinking or whatever, it also gives you that stamina to be there and to, and to be yeah. very aware of the audience in a, probably in an, an entirely new way, a level of awareness of um, what's going on in the room, what's going on in the crowd and like reading reading the room, if you will, especially on like a long, yeah. a long set like that. When you're I present. really like the long, the long set is the best because I, I, quite literally, there is no one there, not even one person, and then it fills, and you just have to see how long can you keep it at this place where everyone's super into it. Yeah, and it's like a really cool challenge, but also you get to challenge them in a way that I don't think that people are doing right now for the most part like I'll play some stuff where you're like how is this in this set <laughs> perfect and you gotta shake still, it up. it'll work yeah because it's not like oh I can't believe you play that track and it was only on from 8 to 9 30 and that was just a waste of 10 minutes or whatever it gives you that leeway it's to- more like a thing like I'm here the whole night we're just going down this thing so you can hear some different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I know experimentation is a big thing for you and it probably allows you to, to, to play some tracks that maybe aren't like the hits, right? Like obviously you'll sprinkle sprinkle them in, but um, I imagine as an artist, you get to like also cultivate new sounds with your audience and, and, and also feel it out from them. I'm sure it's different from, is it different city to city? Like, is there like a banger yeah. in one city and then on the next, you're just kind of like, all right, I guess there are. Sometimes it's shocking. Really? The difference. It's not, it's almost not even by the city's personality. Yeah. It's by like who came to the night and what, is it Friday or Saturday? Mm-hmm. Is it snowing? Is it whatever? Like there's so many Factory, reasons yeah. why people would be in certain mood it did they'd stay out in the sun all day and That's... now this is like their last thing it it's like i don't i don't try, i try not to think about any of that stuff when i'm in there but i do notice like oh i gotta go a little bit more it's it's a lot more obvious when I do my other alias, mm-hmm. which is my real name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's where I got ready. Like I was I, listening to Barclay getting ready this morning. I do a very specific thing in that where I, mm-hmm. I almost like I start in a old school hip hop track. I build up to like the hardest thing and then I drop back down and do it again. And I do that like four times. Yeah. I'm kind of doing that in the house but it's a lot more feely, like, where are we going? But I'll never just be like, we're just going to play banging techno for three hours. I'll always take you out, give you a break, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever needs to happen. A journey. It's a journey you take. For you to be able to keep dancing, I will try to give it to you. I call that with my friends. We call it a talk break. (laughs) We're like, oh, oh, the DJ said it's a talk break. This is where, where either the track is like on for like seven or eight minutes and it's the same. I was like, and it would be our joke. We're like, oh, it's good. It's a, they're just giving us a moment to like catch up. Like, how you doing? You having a good time? Like, all right. And then they like throw in another banger. We're like, okay, we're back. <laughs> uh, so funny. So before we, before we um, get off the topic of psychedelics, I don't know if it's actually even appropriate to ask somebody who's no, no longer really dabbling, but do you have any just 
do you have like one story that just like stands out to you, whether it's like the most wild or crazy or funny or some moment where you're like, that was one of the craziest trips I've ever had? Yes. The story is like three hours long, but <laughs> it was definitely this one time in Ibiza where like I referenced it earlier, where I just woke up on the side of the road and I didn't know where I was. Mm-hmm. I had a sign taped to my shirt. Here are the instructions how to walk to the closest village that someone had put on there. No. There was a cat there. I mean, it sounds fake. <laughs> there was a cat looking at me, but one of his eyes was missing. In the and side of I the just, road? In the side of the road? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just walked, but I had just been paid in cash back when people got paid in cash. Mm-hmm. So I had a giant envelope of euros and I just went on this craziest three-day thing that all kind of started and ended with the same person. Perfect. But I was like randomly ending up in the most, like I went from the side of the road to being in the booth with Richie Houghton at Amnesia, like in under 24 hours. Wow. And there was all these step, crazy steps of people that I met. And I, I just walked into the first place that I walked into was this restaurant that I didn't, I just saw a door the light on I walked in this restaurant it ends up being like a five-star restaurant I sit down and I'm like can you just give me some food you're like (laughs) I don't even know just like you just pick something for me I ordered some like thing I don't know what it was and they brought me out like a brontosaurus leg (laughs) (laughs) like I was Fred Flintstone oh my god I just started laughing but I met a DJ in there he's like Claude and I'm like what You, you know who I am and that's like the beginning of the story, but <laughs> I didn't know he was a DJ. So he just and knew the you. And the end of the story is me just dancing in this hotel uh, and just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy goes on and plays the best set I ever heard. Who and was it? Like three days later, the Ed Sondrum. Oh, I don't know him. He's just a great house DJ. But okay. anyway, it was pretty wild. And there's like all these little other stories intertwined in this weekend. I was climbing over the walls of some guy's villa. I ran through the forest and I found Ricardo Villalobos DJing inside of a cave. I mean, that sounds right. (laughs) That sounds totally correct. (laughs) Wow. One guy guy didn't make it over the wall and all the security guys captured him. And he was like the editor of Mixmag and I lost him for the week. Like all these crazy things. That is hilarious. How long ago was that? Did you perform that weekend? yeah, the night before, that's why I had money. That's how okay. I was able to make it through the weekend. <laughs> that's how you got this adventure? I I was, uh, I think that was when I was a resident at this party called We Love Space, which is no longer. Mm-hmm. Awesome party. Really, like, eclectic lineups. I haven't been, but. <laughs> uh, I don't know. This has got to be 10 years ago. Okay. Okay. Do you remember, do you remember what you had? No. <laughs> But I definitely was just kind of accepting what all the things you're not supposed to do, Mm -hmm. just accepting random (laughs) things from people that I run into. I'm so glad it worked out for you. Everyone listening, that's, that's, uh, That's try not not to do that, but (laughs) (laughs) very thrilled it worked out though, uh, for you, Claude. That's (laughs) hilarious. 
All right. Why don't we actually, before we go into like talking now about Dirty Bird, I would love to know just very generally, is there something that's important to you right now, whether as an artist or personally, that you haven't really had a chance to talk about publicly, but would like to? I know that's a hard one to put you on the spot a little bit. I think it's kind of, it's not as hard as it sounds. I, it's not going to be like a big, like, uh, it's going to be a music thing. And it's kind of like, what's important to me? The, this year in particular is the year that uh, our specific genre kind of went nuclear and became commercial. Yes. And it's now can basically EDM music considered just mainstream. And I have made a really concerted effort to not just like bandwagon, kind of abandon some of the stuff we were doing and rebuild mm -hmm. from a weirder place yeah. and get tweaky again and go back to like the influences that made me start Dirty Bird, like Playhouse Records in Germany that doesn't exist anymore. And just all these they still had fun, but they were really weird. Mm -hmm. All these guys like Roman Flugel and Robag Room. And, and I just wanted to go back to the roots and not even care what genre. The one thing that's changed this year the most dramatically is that I'm just kind of losing my uptight. It has to be house okay. thing. Yeah. So we're also releasing other stuff because I've always been into other stuff. It's just that I got good at house. Yeah. Just because I got good at something doesn't mean I don't have other interests. Yeah. Like I just happened to get really popular making house music. Totally. When I made this decision, I knew it might not be popular. Yeah. And it was going to be hard. And it is hard to just be like, yeah, we're not doing that commercial tech house sound this year. Mm -hmm. I know you really want me to do it, but we're not doing it. Yeah. I'm really sorry. And that's not the easiest. There's always like a bunch of negative feedback when you change. Yeah. But I think it, we have to change because the road that that sound is going on, it's not going to be a road that I'm going to be on. No, exactly. You have to keep it interesting for yourself or... Or, yeah. or then you're not in flow with yourself. You know, the, yeah. the fear of criticism is the thief of creativity. And yeah. I think a lot of us, you know, and I, in my own way with my, with my podcast, I just started a second podcast called Life with Cat Walsh about the spiritual path. And in the beginning, as I was recording some of them before I released it, I was realizing how much um, it wasn't actually fun for me because I was almost creating in self-defense already. Because I knew what I was saying was it's going to be for some people and it's not going to be for everyone. And as someone that's newer into this space, the, to, to have public any kind of criticism or that feeling of rejection is, is still new for me. And I, I had to go through a whole process of like, you can create what's safe, but safe is not an extraordinary life. It's not, right. it's not, that's, you can't live and, and, and you have to honor yourself and like that sounds like what you're doing too is it's an honoring of yourself and being like look you might you might suddenly in 2023 in like july be like i have a great idea for like a tech house banger and like great cool yeah but it in, could happen you know what i mean but like right now i think it's great that like 
like I think you've paid your dues. You've got a, a, a ton of great house music that people can always jam out to. And I think yeah. to just really support an artist is not I'm boxing someone in. I'm still making house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still making house. It's just I'm not necessarily making certain kind of thing that everyone is expecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just read an article in the LA Times. Uh, it's the 50th anniversary of the comedy store. And Mitzi Shore told Bobby Lee, the comic Bobby Lee, like, mediocrity is like the killer of everything. Mm-hmm. You need people, you need half the audience to hate you to, yeah. to for this to work. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> which is like, wild. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's just, it's right. a wild feeling. And, and you know, kind of like that, it takes uh, a lot of like sense of self you know, to really like cultivate that sense of self. And obviously a lot of people don't have that sense of self. That's why a lot of people sell out, right? Like there's a lot of people that are just like, yeah. okay, I'll make what you want because I want to stay relevant for you. And therefore then, but I don't really want to be doing it. Well, that doesn't and last. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's okay with me. I've come to terms with the people that are doing that. There's people like one of the hardest dubstep producers in the entire world just came up to me a couple of weeks ago and told me he's only playing house music now. And I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. fine with me. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, look, it's that's going to bring more people in. Exactly. And it's, it's just like, okay, but I mean, what were you doing before? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, totally. Well, I mean, it's but why, why can't, why can't that guy change and be like, now this is what I like. I think that's okay. That's what I'm doing. Oh, no, no. I think it's I think it's great. I mean, I think that yeah. the more as an artist that you can stay passionate, you there's no longevity if you are unhappy. You know, like I mean, I guess you can live an unhappy life, but if you're a real artist who wants to stay inspired and wants to keep creating cultivating the relationship with your audience and saying like, look, just like you wouldn't want to be forced to eat, um, I don't know, steak and potatoes every single night. Neither do I, <laughs> you know, as yeah. an artist, like I want variety. So like, yeah. you know, it's good for you too. On that topic. <laughs> one of the things that I've just started, I changed inside my own family is, um, both of my kids have a really incredible piano teacher and she encourages them to write music mm-hmm. and both of my kids can sing and both of my thing, kids can songwrite. And I was just kind of being like, let them do what they're going to do, dad. Mm-hmm. Up until now where I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make them come back here with me like two, three nights a week. And we're going to make songs and songwrite because they're going to be gone and we aren't going to have done this and it's just going to be stupid. Yeah. And maybe something will happen with it and maybe it won't, but at least I'm like spending time with them doing music, Mm -hmm. which is something that we both care about. Yeah. I think that's great. But the thing is structure, especially at that, how old are your kids? How old are they? Uh, 14 14 and 15. Perfect. So that age, you know, like I'll, I'll give you an example of myself. I played softball growing up. And I loved it. I love softball. But the thing is, I was still at that age, 13, 14, 15, high school. Well, the thing is, I still needed to be pushed by my dad. Like, it's time to go practice pitching and practice. You know, like, I wanted, I ended up, thanks thanks to him, actually, thanks to, like, a little bit of that extra structure. Because, like, you know, I'm going into high school and I'm, you know, whatever, right? 
thanks to that yeah. structure, I ended up getting a full ride. I still loved yeah. it, but I still needed, I, you know, there's very few kids at that age that can, that has the, that real drive to be like getting in every day and doing that. Like God bless yeah. if they do, but like to give that like extra push and be like, you have something you can foster here. And I'm in a position that like, I'm an, I'm an artist, I'm a musician. Learn right. from me, you know, like I can teach you all that I know. Yeah. And it's almost like they don't know any better. Yeah. So they don't realize that every dad isn't just sitting back here in Ableton every day. (laughs) Right. And they don't understand, like, maybe this is a great job for them just because I do it. They don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But that I don't think that's necessarily real. I need to walk them through kind of like what it is and show it to them for real instead of just being like, oh, you don't want to do it. That's okay. Yeah. 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 So to give it a real because shot. Because they're doing it on the side. Yeah. And I'm just like not participating. Don't they know their dad's cool? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> no, no, no kids do. I always look at like Will Smith's kids and they're kind of like yeah. eye rolling at him. I was like, your dad's Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> so let's end with Dirty Bird. All right. So let's assume a lot of people listening have no idea what Dirty Bird Campout is. Can you right. break it down for us? It's perfect because this episode's going to come out right before tickets go on sale. It's going to come out oh, May 10th. Cool. It's going to come out May 10th. So Great. Uh, it'll be perfect timing for you to talk about it. What's the experience? Where, where's that? Break down. Okay. So I used to go to a festival that you would have loved in this category called What the Festival. <laughs> it was name. in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of a, I'd never been to a festival like this before where it's a boutique festival maybe five, four or 5,000 people, but they have multiple areas and you never really know. Like, yeah, there, there is a music schedule, but outside of that, you never know what the heck is going to happen. And there's a lot of weird people and weird stuff going on. You can kind of get lost in this forest and then they'll just be like a stage and you don't know why it's there. And they're like showing movies or something. And then all of a sudden someone will throw snowballs at you in the middle of summer and like all these kind of things. And so I had an idea to do that kind of festival and it's called Dirty Bird Camp. What the festival is no longer, mm-hmm. but that was, if you took what the festival and my summer camp, in the Adirondack Mountains, you would have Dirty Bird Camp Out. Got it. Where we added this element of when you get to our festival, you get a colored bandana and you're on a team. Mm-hmm. And during the day, if you so choose, you can play games on that team. And there's an actual winner at the end. And it creates so many friendships and like team bonding. And I think it's one of the only festivals you can go to by yourself and you will totally fine yeah and meet tons of people everyone's so nice and I haven't even started talking about the music but that's how much I care about yeah <laughs> Dirty Bird Camp Out it's like the other things besides the music are why it's a special festival yeah I have a, a whole area that's just weird shows called Claude's Cabin mm-hmm. it's just comedy bingo weird stuff drag show every kind of thing game shows uh, magicians fortune teller just 
on in rotation and you just sit there and you take a break, it's like for your break time. Right. <laughs> when you're like, okay, I've heard such great music, but I just want to laugh yeah. for an hour. Yeah. That's where that area is for. And then there's two main music stages. One is mostly house, which is kind of like what we are specializing in. And then one is all alternative and bass. That's the bass lodge or the bass lodge, whichever you want to call it. <laughs> right, and right. The, it has a big fish logo. And then the other one's the birdhouse, which was my radio show for like 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And between all these areas, it's just really fun. Mm-hmm. It's a fun festival. It's a boutique festival for sure. There's not going to be 30,000 people there. Not even close. What is the size usually? It's usually be somewhere between five and 6,000 people. Yeah. It's on the water. It's gorgeous. You feel like you're at summer camp. It's kind of amazing. I love it. It's like my favorite. Fe- obviously, I'm biased. <laughs> I picked everything. I go to everything. Mm-hmm. And I pick out all the things that I think are the best. And I try to put them into this That's so budget cool. allowing. It's so I hope to go. Hopefully, I'll go this year. But I've had I've been to the barbecues and what I want to just mirror is is the community aspect that Dirty Bird yeah. has really built like any show whether it's a Dirty Bird show whether it's you whether it's any of like the artists like there is such a level of um community and like because it is a little uh more like eccentric right there is more self-expression you you there's like a celebration of being weird and yourself and you know in a in a different way that dirt um burning man does it obviously right with even the aesthetic is different but they're that this same idea of like play like there's you can be as yeah. silly as you want to be and in a very serious world um it's so needed you know and i i think to, to me like it's so important actually to have something like this and i i think if people like looked in their head they're like I mean, it's, it's fun. Like, why is that important? But I'm like, but fun is the thing that we're missing in a lot of our lives. Yeah. You know, we're in a mental health crisis. There is such a lack of community. And, you know, before I was doing trip on this and I was just kind of like in a normal job, I would go to these experiences and, you know, be on psychedelics and be in community and be dancing and, and have that shared bond. And that would f- um, fill my tank with joy and love, and I could actually be better at my life because of it. I was better at my job because I'm coming off of so much a high, of so much, um, so much fun. And like the truth is, like the the people I meet at raves and people that are like have, might have like an old perception of what a rave is, are the nicest people. They're so nice, and it teaches you about kindness because yeah. it's like heart opening. And it's about people that are like, you want to come here and just dance? We're like in the middle of a park. You want to go dancing as an adult? Hell yeah. Those are my type of people. Yeah. So It's fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is like the festival that you can go to and you could just dance for like two hours and you'd still have something to do the whole time and your wallet fall out, will fall out of your pants and someone will give it back to you. Yeah, yeah. It's like a very nice festival. Yeah. And it's a real, like there's so many marriages and like babies and stuff that have been born out of Dirty Bird Really? Wow. It's kind of amazing. Like how many, we even have like a dating game and the crazy, like people are like together from those dating games. But I believe Still. it because it's like, because it is 
subgenre still, right? Like, because it is, it's yeah. like, you're a certain, you're here for this weekend. Like, we already have interests. We already have some, something yeah. in common. And like, music, if you're a music lover, you better have a partner that is digging the same kind of music or else it's not fun. Like, don't you want to go to a show with someone who's not just like getting dragged there? It's fun when yeah. they're getting down next to you because they love it like you do. Yeah. So. Exactly. When is it for uh, people? When is the official date? It's the first. It's the first weekend of October. Mm -hmm. You can get there early for an early arrival party, which I think is the. If this is wrong, I'm sorry. I think Thursday is the fourth. Okay. Pretty sure, fourth through the eighth or fourth through the seventh. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but Thursday is optional. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. But there are no day passes. Like you kind of have to go all in. Okay, got it. But it's very, very fun. But I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't want. seem like a. It doesn't even seem like because it is like it's community. You're on a team. There's prizes. Like it feels yeah. like it's a commitment to your team too. You're like with yeah. the community, right? And the teams have made created personalities over the years. Like I, I have actual team personalities now because the same people that one of the coolest things is that the same people come back every year to be the team leaders and the MC and the referees it's all the same people because they like it so much mm -hmm. and they're such awesome like the green team is like the dirty grinder dancing team and the <laughs> yeah. purple team is like the under underdog underachieving but we're super positive you can do it but everybody gets a trophy vibe that's hilarious or orange team is like really aggressive we are actually gonna win <laughs> yeah it's like kind of it's amazing that they all have like a very distinct personality but it it's super fun uh, it really is fun permission for fun as adult we yeah. need it we need it this conversation was fun, Claude. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to make sure that I include all the links to your tour. Oh, I know you're on tour in North America right now. So for those that are interested on in hitting the dance floor, Claude is on tour right now, right? Or you're heading on tour. No, I'm always on tour. Always on <laughs> tour, everyone. My, 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 tour this, it, my tour this year is kind of funny. It's what I was telling you before. It's I'm only playing nightclubs from open to close. So minimum four hour set. And I'll be there when you get there. Oh my God. That and is it's called the tour is called my dad plays great music. <laughs> that is so perfect. That is so perfect. Everyone right. calls me dad. I don't know. It just happened. All right. Perfect. Well, uh, I can confirm this is true. So everyone listening, if you want to just have fun, the, the theme of this conversation is like, have some fun because this really yeah. is uh, that. So thank you so much again for being here. It was a such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you for having me. It was great. And for everyone, as always, trip on this.